traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. Chiral Asseter, the co-founder and CEO of Centerfin in New York. Carl, thank you for rejoining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today. Uh, Nat, thank you for having me again, and uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays to you. It's great to have you. And you were on this show almost exactly a year ago, and you made some predictions, some of which turned out to be quite prescient. You, you said that uh, we we're unlikely to have a recession, and you were also short bonds, which worked out for about 10 months of the year, which is good enough. So- Curious now what your views are on the coming 12 months for markets, for the economy. Are we going to get a recession? Yeah, these are all things I would like to know. I'm sure our listeners were would as well. So I will shut up and let you talk and tell us about it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I think our view last year, our view today on the kind of global macro right the bigger picture is generally it's not like we're predict we were predicting last year that we're not going to get a recession but generally speaking when you look at consensus estimates by you know when you when you get all these you know 2024 predictions that you're seeing right now it's very rare that those come true right it's it's mm. often the case that something else happens and Does so it never come true <laughs> Um, you know, I don't know. Somebody should somebody should actually look at that and see if, if consensus is ever the right way to go. But so our view is basically, look, nobody really knows anything as it comes to the macros. We can make predictions that are informed based on what's going on, uh, based on our views, based on what we're seeing from you know companies specifically and and from some of the macro factors specifically. But at the end of the day, it's really hard to to make those calls. And I think that we were of that same mind a year ago when we spoke, which is, you know, look, everybody's talking about a recession, but everybody was talking about a recession at the end of 2021 also, if you recall. And we said the same thing. Look, you know, it makes sense. And we actually did get two negative GDP prints in 2022, if you recall, but it wasn't called a recession. But I guess our point is, you know, it's really hard to make those macro calls. And so we're not, we're not by any means, you know, any better informed than anybody else. And so we're not going to try to make those macro calls. We're just going to look at, you know, where the markets are, 
you know, on a valuation basis, what potential sectors are in favor, out of favor in the next, you know, six to 12 months in the kind of intermediate term. But longer term, you know, as I think we discussed last year, you know, our clients have a long time horizon. And so the vast majority of the exposure we're going to have for them is in equities because that's what you what you want to have longer term. It's hmm. just a matter of, you know, how you express that view is really the nuanced difference in, in how we look at it. And so, you know, our view is is generally speaking, you know, just passive equity exposures probably not the way to go at this stage anyway. Mm. Um, and so you want to have a little bit more, um, you know, you pick and choose your, your sectors, you know, maybe use some managers here and there, depending on what part of the market we're talking about. But that's been our view since the beginning. That's why we started the company. Um, and that continues to be our view. So, you know, to kind of rewind 2023, you know, everybody thought we were going to recession we were not so clear that we were going into a recession. Then you hit the first quarter and we have a mini banking crisis, right? You had some mm. of the biggest banking failures that we've seen since the financial crisis. And quite frankly, that was interesting because we were looking at the banking sector and we were focused on the smaller end of the banking sector because of commercial real estate, right? So, you know, in late 2022, internally, we were discussing, you know, what are the potential risks out there from this kind of higher rate regime that are that are fairly obvious. And, you know, one of the most obvious risks is real estate and real estate held by the commercial real estate uh, exposure held by some of the smaller commercial banks. And that actually ended up playing out, but for the mm-hmm. for the for the wrong reasons. Right. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the com- it wasn't the commercial real estate that really hurt them. It was it was the rates. And, you know, for Silicon Valley Bank, it was their venture capital investments that and their client base that they had. So anyway, so so we went through that. And then the Fed stepped in with the BTFP program, which is kind of interesting, which was, you know, I think if you look, if you look at the history of what the Fed does during crises, you shouldn't be too surprised that mm. they provided, you know, this, this, you know, temporary facility for the banks to be able to withstand these moves. And that kind of quieted things down for a bit, right? And and then we kind of resume this um, rally led by now, you know, now it's been talked about enough that you know, I don't need to tell you, but the Magnificent Seven, mm. right? The biggest technology companies are a, a huge exposure in the S&P 500, and they've represented the vast majority of the return of the S&P 500 for this year. I think the interesting turning point that we saw was that at some point, the markets stopped focusing. So last year, it was all about inflation, right? We were focused on inflation because that gave us insight, potentially, into what the Fed was going to do. And that gave us insight potentially into what, you know, how to price risk assets, right? And then this year, it seems like at some point, you know, inflation started to come down and that became fairly obvious. And the the focus switched not from, you know, is, you know, is inflation still a risk? It's really, what is the Fed going to do? And are rates um, going to stay higher for longer? Because that's been the what the Fed has been talking about. And if you recall, kind of in the late summer going into the fourth quarter, we saw the long end of the of the curve spike in yield, right? And the narrative that was driving that was, you know, our fiscal situation is terrible. We're running a big fiscal deficit, even though we're in, you know, quote unquote peacetime, even though there's there are two wars that are that are happening as we speak. Um, we're running a fiscal deficit. Um, you know, the interest rates are are higher than they've been in the last 15 years. And can we actually afford this, right? And so that you so you saw the long end of the of the um, bond market spike in yields, and that caused a big sell-off in risk assets, right? Hmm. And so that was all of you know basically October. 
And really what stopped that and, and has been now confirmed was when um, Secretary, Treasury, uh, Secretary of the Treasury Yellen came out and said, listen, you know, we're not going to finance um, you know, this fiscal deficit with long bonds. We're going to use a lot more short-term you know, sh- T-bills and short-duration bonds. Um, and that really calmed the market down from the perspective of, you know, are these long bonds gonna gonna get out of control? And so that's that's when you saw this big re- relief rally. You saw it in risk assets and you know stocks and in bonds over the course of November. And then of course, you know, last week, and I'm glad we we had to put put off this uh, mm-hmm. this recording by about a week because I don't think anybody was predicting. Neither were we, nor nor, nor did we try. But nobody was expecting this Powell pivot that we got yeah. last Wednesday, which basically then you know, added another layer of um, kind of comfort to the market uh, in that he basically said, look, we're done hiking and the path of interest rates now is lower, right? Mm-hmm. He's never said that this year, even as recent as, you know, two, three weeks ago, he was sticking to the higher for longer mandate and the narrative. And so markets, as you know, hate uncertainty. And so when the Secretary of the Treasury responding from kind of the federal government side of things said, Look, we're going to, you know, we understand yields are, you know, interest rates are higher and and we're we're in a bad fiscal situation, so we're going to finance the government with short-term paper. That gave comfort to the markets from that perspective. And then now the Fed came out last week and basically said, "Look, we're not we're done raising interest rates. We're going to lower interest rates next year." The timing doesn't really matter, the magnitude doesn't really matter. It's just direction that matters. Hmm. And so that gave a lot more comfort to the market since last week. Surprisingly though, What's what's been interesting, what we've observed, and and this is um, you know partially I think healthy, is the leadership since the Fed pivot last week has come from the out of favor sectors of the market and the companies really that have not participated in the rally. So right. if you look at the you know the magnificent magnificent seven, they're up, but the market overall is up higher, and their small te- you know smaller companies mm-hmm. are up much higher. Um, certain you know more speculative parts of the market. Are, are up much higher since since this Fed pivot. So, um, so I guess overall going into 2024, now everybody is talking about a soft landing, and and that's pretty much consensus. I literally just saw a chart from every bank. Every bank shows a either very shallow recession or a soft landing, hmm. no recession. We just go on. Again, we're going to say it's unlikely that we see that consensus. And so, what are the other two scenarios hmm. now? The, the one much talked about, and you've had some guests on that that I think have talked about this, right, is that there's a lag effect to these interest rate hikes and that it will feed through the economy um, on, a, on a lag. And then you're going to see a recession later than we would have expected. I think that a little bit of that narrative potentially, um, you know, was was hurt by the Powell pivot because now, you know, he's basically saying we're, we're, we're lowering interest rates and there is no recession in sight. Um, and so it's hard to um, it's hard to make that case, I think. Um, and then the other the, the flip side of the coin is like, what if the economy reaccelerates, right? And like, what if what if what if we actually show strength this year? You know, I just um, I just looked at earnings this year. Earnings were flat, basically. I think the the projected when all is said and done, year over year earnings growth is like 0.6 percent for the year, hmm. right? Next year, we're projecting, as we usually do, growth of, I think, you know, low teens or something like that for the S&P 500. We're trading at, at high multiples, right? So we're trading at 19 to 20 times on the S&P. Does that mean that the stock market rallies, even if the economy accelerates? You know, it's hard to make the point that the stock market rallies significantly from here. But I think that everybody expecting this, like, 
soft landing or a potential recession and a stock market crash, um, you know, is, is, is potentially that that case is potentially not as evident as it was even a couple of weeks ago. Which case? The case for a soft landing or the case for the, the case for a crash? For, for, for both. For yeah. both. Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. If you want to be contrarian as, as to the name of your podcast, you definitely don't want to go with 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 what the you know current consensus is which is a soft mm. landing and that's right. been driving the market for the last couple of months i think that the, the crash you know i think that there's there's some probability of a crash but that the probability of a crash it probably comes with some exogenous risk mm. that we are not considering right and there's mm. certainly plenty of things to worry about but there's always plenty of things to worry about but, you know more recently you've had you know this this um activity uh in the middle east where you know, the shipping companies have had to reroute their their ships around Africa because you know they're they're being bombed in the Red Sea by by drones. You know, is that potentially something that can flare up into a bigger conflict in the Middle East? Of course, but what you know, what is the probability of that going into an election year? You know, it's it's hard to tell. And so, so you know, I guess I guess our point is, you know, we think the economy is doing fine. Uh, it it doesn't there's, there's there's not a ton of evidence that we're going to go into some sort of deep recession. There is some potential that we actually you know accelerate from here. Um, but does that mean that stocks do well um, from here on a on a kind of index level basis? Probably not because they're already mm -hmm. relatively richly priced. And so you have to kind of focus on certain companies or sectors that are more attractively priced. And so mm -hmm. we think you know some of the out of out of favor stuff that has not participate in the rally of 2023, you know, will start to, you mm -hmm. know, participate or catch up, so to speak, into into 2024. Okay, let's hold off on uh, discussing those sectors just for a minute, because there are some things you covered a lot of ground here. And there's a couple of things I want to ask you about, based on what you just said. One of them is the possibility, the, the basically the fact that the Fed is going to cut rates, this has now effectively been priced in. And Powell said as much. And certainly the bond market uh, shows this. And so do Fed fund futures. But the question is, how can he cut rates if inflation is still a full percent above the 2% mandate that they need it to be? That's number one. And number two, like you said, there are no signs really of the economy slowing. I guess maybe in employment numbers, some. But then you have other things like housing coming back and asset prices, like you said, looking quite good. So it seems like a, it's a bit of a dis difficult case to make to cut rates into all of this. Is it not? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense um, when you look at just the data and you, and you, you know, rewind the videotape and you look at how... Um, you know, what the Fed has been focused on and how very disciplined they've tried to be in keeping this higher for longer narrative in light of the fact that the, you know, inflation is still above their target. And unemployment, you know, to your point, we've seen a little bit of softness, but it's still fairly tight, right? The the labor market's tight. And so their their dual mandate is is employment and price stability. Employment is still fine. 
price stability still not fine based on their, you know, their, their interpretation of it, but it's heading in the right direction. And I think, I think that, look, look, we can't, we can't argue with what the Fed is going to do. The Fed is going to do what they're going to do. What I think that is more important than even whether it's right or wrong is the fact that they told us that they're going to cut rates, or at least they told us that the direction of rates is down next year instead of flat to potentially even up, which is what was kind of discussed over the course of the last year. But I completely agree with you that, you know, you probably run more of a risk, you know, to my point earlier about kind of reacceleration, right? But, you know, if this is stimulative to the economy, if they, you know, the, 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 implied cutting of rates, which was already reflected in the in the bond market, as you said, is stimulus of the economy. And if that flares up inflation again, we're going to be in a little bit of a pickle. And by we, I mean the Fed. The chairman, Jay Powell, has has wanted to avoid any comparison to the 1970s and, you know, what happened with Arthur Burns and Volcker. But, you know, in doing what he's doing, he's running that risk. Mm. Yeah. So risks, you would think maybe potentially to the upside there. And, you know, I mean, the, doesn't the Fed, I mean, the credibility, I mean, after all this talk about price stability, you know, going back to this Jackson Hole speech last summer, in the summer of 22, and all everything he said up until this last meeting, you know, how can they now cut rates in the face of this? Unless, of course, inflation comes down a lot and the economy falls off of a cliff over the next couple of months. Yeah, I mean look, the 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 only two possible explanations are um and I've heard people talk about this since last week also are that, you know, maybe the Fed sees something we don't see and that mm-hmm. there's a bigger slowdown happening under the surface and and hence they want to get ahead of it. Um that's that's one explanation. Um the other explanation is, you know, you know, politics, which, you know, it's hard to it, it's hard to, you know, make that case but obviously we're going into an election year the the incumbent government's going to do what they anything that they can in order to have a strong economy going into the election right Mm -hmm. um again that's you know there's a little bit more of a conspiracy theory you know um tilt to to that Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. to that um to that element but no you're absolutely right it's 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 hard to understand why the change of tone and why this pivot at this stage when, you know, there is no evidence that inflation, the trend of inflation has bottomed or, or the trend of inflation has 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 continued to go down to to their kind of targeted level. Right. Mm-hmm. We're still, you know, we're, we still saw our four percent print in the last inflation print in the CPI print. Right. And I, I would argue most people experience, you know, I, my argument about, you know, we're, we're sitting here arguing about, you know, academically. What is the CPI number? What's the PC deflator? You know, and what is the Fed going to do based on those things? But arguably, you know, people, everyday people, which is what the Fed, you know, seems to have um, been telling us that they care about, they're still experiencing inflation, right? Mm-hmm. So when you go to a restaurant out, you know, prices are still a lot higher than they used to be because those restaurants are not going to just lower prices after they've raised them, right? Yeah. Um, and so you're still seeing higher prices for things. And that's that. That's the element about inflation that I think, not to get into it. And again, we're not we're not economists, and we don't we, you know we, we don't think that anybody has a has a good explanation. But 
there is a psychological element to inflation, which is, you know, when people are experiencing higher prices for goods and services, which they are, and they continue to experience them, um, they also go back and demand higher wages, right? Because mm. that's the only way that they can afford uh, the higher price of goods and services. And we've seen that wage pressure, right? So the, the, I think that the, the thing to focus on is, you know, whether wage inflation is under control or not. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think, I don't think, you know, anybody knows, but, yeah. um, but that's going to determine, I think, what happens with inflation going forward and whether or not the Fed is, you know, um, a little ahead of it, ahead of itself here. Yeah. Although one other thing here is uh, one element that they exclude from their core, but gas prices, if you look at the pump, uh, have come down. And interestingly, this Red Sea stuff has not really caused or at all caused a spike in oil prices. So that would indicate that the market is not really placing all that much risk into the, the, that particular geopolitical possibility. Obviously, there's other things affecting oil prices, but is there that too? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, gas prices have come down. Oil, um, you know, we've thrown a lot at the oil market this year in terms of geopolitical risk, including this, re this recent war in, in the Middle East. And prices have been stubbornly, you know, for the bulls, uh, low. Mm. Um, and I think that that's pretty telling. Um, and I think that's been good for the consumer. But yeah, I mean, the, the market seems to not be pricing in um, a ton of that geopolitical risk into the oil market. And maybe that has to do with the fact that, you know, instead of, um, you know, the U.S. production of oil, I and mean, I think we talked about this last year, right? We're fully sufficient in, mm. in terms of being able to produce enough oil uh, or energy domestically to support ourselves, right? So the Middle East, where historically we've needed them to import energy, um, is not as important anymore. So maybe there's an element of that. I'd say, you know, if you look at, we talked about it last time and, and we continue to have this here, but if you look at kind of the gold market um, as, you know, something else as a proxy for uh, geopolitical risk, that's actually mm, yeah. been trading a little bit more. I mean, gold's like kind of at all time highs. Mm -hmm. um, it's been threatening to break out. Um, that's actually been trading a little bit more like a geopolitical hedge, if you want to call it that. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. By the way, you don't need the .tech suffix to get to that website. .com will do the trick. And we also have a Substack that you can where you can sign up for the same prices, same benefits, same details contrarianpod.substack.com. So if you already have a Substack account and use it or have the app and use that, that's probably the best way to go. So contrarian.supercast.com or contrarianpod.substack.com. Whole bunch of benefits, including, of course, getting this episode 
up to a week early without ads or annoying announcements. And you also get the Daily Contrarian briefing and podcast that is released every market day morning at 7 a.m. This is a contrarian take on the events of the day ahead and what is likely to move markets, such as economic data releases, earnings, and other things. It is really good, and that is completely unbiased, of course. So check that out, contrarianpod.substack.com or contrarian.supercast.tech. Now on with the show. All right, so let's talk sectors then. What parts of the economy do you like? Obviously, this is not investment advice, but uh, just in terms of, yeah, broadly overall sectors, what what you're you're um, more bullish about going into 2024. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, we um, we recently made some some changes in the in the in the client portfolios. We have not we've we've had a relatively balanced approach to our equities portfolio, uh, balanced between kind of more defensive um, equities and and you know higher growth equities. You you want to have exposure to all of those things because at the end of the day, um, like I said, from a long term perspective, you want to have a lot of equity exposure for your clients. It's just a matter of like, how do you position yourself in the short to intermediate term? Um, and so we were kind of balanced going into 2023. Um, and that's that's worked out, you know, completely fine through the end of the year. Um, I think that going into 2024, we've added a little bit more weight to um, out of favor things that we think potentially could benefit. So, you know, I mentioned small caps before, um, we've had, you know, a lot more exposure to small caps than, you know, the broad indices have no exposure to small caps, obviously, right? The S&P doesn't have any small caps, but, you know, we've had exposure both actively and passively to, um, to small cap equities. And we've added to that because we feel like that there is more value there. And that's, hmm. you know, you know, probably one of the, you know, there's nothing obvious in this market, but that's, uh, that, that's something that I think is reasonable. Um, and then we've added to, um, you know, we've had more exposure to, um, healthcare, Okay. Um, and that hasn't worked this year and biotech yeah. and that hasn't worked this year. Um, but we've, we've decided to kind of leave those at slightly lower allocation levels, you know, even though they, they haven't worked, so they've gotten smaller over time. And instead what we've added to are industrials and financials, mm. um, which, you know, industrials have participated in, in this last rally and, and financials have started to participate, mm-hmm. but they weren't, they were, they were definitively not the leaders mm. going into it. Right. We, we continue to be led by, you know, the, the big technology companies this year. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's that's how we were thinking about it. I think at the end of the day, more importantly, um, you know, we continue to believe this, the market environment, you know, everybody's so surprised. S&P's up 20, you know, whatever it is, 22, 23, 24% this year. Um, you know, the vast majority of that, again, seven stocks. It's a really a function if you, if you look at it uh, as to how this index is created, right? You have, the biggest companies, I think it's top 10 companies are now 30% of the index, right? Wow. It's fairly concentrated. Those are the vast majority of those top 10 companies are technology companies, right? Mm. And and that's been the leadership since the financial crisis, basically coming out of the financial crisis, we saw leadership from the technology companies. You know, if you go back to, you know, we met in the, in the hedge fund world, right? If mm-hmm. you go back to, you know, if you were an institutional allocator sitting with a hedge fund and you were to ask them, how concentrated are you? And they were to say, well, look, my top 10 names are 30%. Um, for a hedge fund, then maybe that's not super concentrated, but it's it's not 
not concentrated, right? Especially when your top position is maybe, you know, 10% plus, sure. which is what it is in S&P 500, right? And so I think that, um, you know, some of the some of the things that, you know, we've been talking about and concerned about is, does this, you know, does just buying the index make sense anymore when you have this concentration issue and that leadership in market cycles is generally not the same, right? So like, you know, mm -hmm. if you go back, there's really cool YouTube videos on, you know, market caps of companies over a long mm -hmm. period of time. And you go back into the 80s and 90s and 2000s and 2010s and 2020s, they're all very different, right? And they change over time, depending on how, you know, what the economy looks like. Um, and it's not unreasonable to think that leadership going forward based on how the economy is evolving will continue to be in technology companies. However, is it going to be the same technology companies mm -hmm. that kind of led us into this, in, into this part of the, um, of time and it's it doesn't seem likely um and so what happens at the index level if you just think about it conceptually from a common sense perspective those companies that have become very very large if they're not the leadership and there's new leadership coming up they're going to stay stagnant maybe they shrink in market cap and overall exposure while the while the new leadership comes up you know comes up in terms of market cap and then the index doesn't go anywhere right, right. and so and that's what you saw really from 2000 to 2010, right? The S&P mm -hmm. 500 made no money over that period of time because there was this internal change of leadership. And mm -hmm. we think that there's more likely than not in 2020, in the 20s, which is where, where you know, we're in the early stages of, we think that there might be that dynamic going forward, which is why you really need to be thoughtful about um, how you construct a portfolio, not just at the index level, mm -hmm. but, you know, picking and choosing sectors and, and being somewhat active about it as, mm -hmm. as things change. Yeah. What are your thoughts on AI? Because that's been one of the things that has driven the technology uh, boom this year and, and some would say hype. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Probably a, one of the biggest surprises of 2023 has been how strong that um, narrative has been. Right. You know, and, and, and listen, half our team are, are technology folks and they've been all over, um, you know, the chat GPT and all the other AIs since, since the beginning, which is only by the way, a year ago, right? So yeah, it's it's yeah. relatively new in in terms of this iteration of of artificial intelligence. This you know um, this uh, language learning models that you can interact with and and um, in in this in this way um, that's relatively new. So um, obviously that's driven massive value creation for a company like Nvidia and some other companies that benefit from from making the GPUs to to use in this technology. Um, we think it's it's kind of too early to tell in what that means longer term because you know I'll tell you I use ChatGPT this is personally now instead of Google right okay. um, so I don't Google anything anymore largely ever since ChatGPT you got access to the internet which is recent um, I can ask ChatGPT to look up things for me and to come back with an answer to something instead of. Previously, what I had to do was Google stuff. And, you know, we, we've all done this, right? You Google, mm -hmm. you have a question, you Google it, and then you get a bunch of links and then you click on the links and you read and you, you know, you finally get to a link that has the answer you're looking for. Maybe it's a compila compilation of that. ChatGPT effectively does that for you, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. It kind of, you know, looks at the web, it searches for um, relevant answers, and, and then it kind of compiles it for you. And so that's a massive productivity boost, boost for mm -hmm. me personally, right? Um, and, and and we think that that's going to be implemented across different industries, and it will have a massive effect. And and quite frankly, that is potentially you know what 
what the market is pricing in as yeah. as, as 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 kind of this very rosy scenario, right? So when I say you know could we see a reacceleration of the economy, it's because the market's been kind of pricing that in ahead of time, but it's because you know some of this technology starts to filter through into the real economy, um, mm. and and actually and you know we actually see it in growth. Um, but I, I do think it's too too early to tell because it seems like, you know, it's going to be very slow in being implemented in different industries. And obviously, certain industries like technology companies will be faster than other mm. industries like, you know, let's say banks and, and you know, um, manufacturing or whatever, auto, auto, auto manufacturing companies. Um, but it is a super interesting, powerful technology. Um, you know, again, you know, I personally use it. I think it's super interesting. My team uses it. We've been exploring ways of utilizing it in our, um, in our company. Um, but it's, it's still relatively new. Hmm. Is it really that useful? I mean, I've used it too, but okay. Like you said, like, okay, it, it skips a step there of having to click on the links. So that's a step, but is that, I mean, it's not like you know, moving from printing press to internet, right? Like, or is it? I don't know. It's not. It's not, except that I think that it has the benefit of potentially being, um, you know, from, again, you know, the the printing press to the internet is, is a massive, you know, a massive shift in, you know, how we were able to disseminate information and consume information, right? Mm -hmm. Um, this is a little bit different in that this is, you know, we already have this access to information. We've had the World Wide Web for, you know, for decades now. Um, and we've moved it from, you know, computers to mobile over the last 20 years. Um, this is a little bit of a different thing where it's not really how we access the data. It's what, what can we do with that data? Um, and so it's almost like you know, the way I kind of think about it, it's like a personal, it has the potential, it's not there yet, but it has the potential to be like a personal assistant, right? And so if it can create, like I think about it from the perspective of the my industry, the wealth management industry and, and you know, financial services in general, right? If it can create the equivalent of an analyst level mm -hmm. worker for you for very limited cost, um, that's potentially game changing, right? Because all of a sudden, you know, you don't need to hire that headcount or you can have that headcount focused on something else because all of that work that you would have an analyst do, um, you know, which is really, you know, research and, and, you know, putting stuff together, if that can be done by an AI, which I think it can, mm. well, that's a huge productivity boost, right? And so, um, and so that, you know, that person can now focus on other things that are going to become, you know, more value add in the economy. Um, than just, you know, putting together research and, you know, and, and putting it together for a presentation or whatever it yeah. might be. Yeah. That's yeah. where I think it's potentially really powerful. And that, you know, you, that application, you can see across, you know, various industries, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's super interesting. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I can tell you from, from my experience that uh, the writing that ChatGPT does, while sometimes a little flawed, and sometimes without downright mistakes, actually, is still better than a junior level reporter, uh, in my experience. Like, I would much rather have a jet, chat GPT written thing than something that came from a 20 whatever year old <laughs> reporter, you know, just speaking from personal experience. That's, but, 
that's super interesting. That's a super interesting observation, you know, it, yeah. for somebody who spends their time writing content, you know, to, to say that that's pretty, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Having said that, it needs to be fact-checked and it does need to be edited. So there is that. But then junior reporters need to be fact-checked and edited and oftentimes ghostwritten. <laughs> and the ghostwriting part is it's something you don't have to really do anymore. Well, depending on how what the style is. But anyway, yeah, interesting stuff. Wow. Okay, that's all very interesting. So a bunch of hot topics here. I'd like to ask, what are your concerns, your biggest concerns going to 2024? You touched on some of it, the geopolitical stuff. That seems to be a major flashpoint. Uh, again, you know, the last two years have seen these huge flare-ups, the Russia, Ukraine, and, and now in the Middle East. So I would assume that's that's upper near the top of the list. But is there anything else, or maybe yeah, talk talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's a th those are top of the list definitely. But you know, like like I say, there's always that stuff to worry about. Um, you know, has it gotten a little bit more acute over the last you know? decade or so it seems like it has um and i think it you know it somewhat has to do with this changing dynamic we've written a lot about like the changing dynamic between the western and eastern worlds right um you know there's no denying the fact that our relationship with china mm. is very different than it was two decades ago um uh you know clearly our relationship with russia is very different but um but there seems to be you know a new um, economic access for lack of a better explanation that's that's trying to kind of form to to replace or try try and you know try to um usurp the us as the global dominant economy and world power right that's clearly what's what's happening and it's happening very slowly and um you know i, I don't think that we can say you know there's been this like recent narrative of comparing the us to the late roman empire um you know, I think there are some things that you can glean from that, but, and, you know, certainly seem right, but I don't think those things happen, you know, over short periods of time, those things take long periods of time. And so I think the the geopolitical conflict, I think we probably expect more of those things. You know, again, the market has not seemed to care, um, you yeah. know, to your point, right? Like we, we saw this, you know, this, this, this war in Israel that started in, in early October, um, you know, and, 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 you know, the, the typical reactions that you would see, we saw some of them, but mm. not really, not, 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 not really um, any, 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 you know, any reflection of, of that becoming a, a real big thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so those are, those are, those are definitely top of mind. I would say like more, you know, closer to home, right. I would say, you know, if inflation is not really a solved problem, like the fed has effectively declared as of last week, um, that again, that's really harmful to a huge part of society. Um, and it's the, you know, this is really the part of the society that does not own financial assets, which is kind of what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'd say that that is something, you know, that I think we, we, we just need to pay attention to mm -hmm. because, you know, Powell, um, to his credit, he said at every press conference, he said, and I don't, I actually don't know if he said it last week or not, but. Is that we we know inflation is hurting people because you know it's hitting them you know in in their in their in their wallet and um and and people are having a hard time you know surviving and living um healthy you know financial lives um well if if inflation kind of reaccelerates from here um mm -hmm. that's gonna that's gonna continue to be a problem and mm -hmm. so 
And that's, you know, that comes with it, you know, that brings with it, you know, potential social tension, um, you know, which, you know, we've seen a little bit of, you know, over the last, you know, couple of years, mm. uh, maybe, maybe even longer. Mm. But that's something that's something also to pay attention to. But I'm not sure, you know, how you can play that from a you know yeah. financial or, or investing perspective. Yeah, yeah, good points. Yeah, speaking of which, you didn't mention the U.S. election in 2024, which I suspect we might be hearing about a little yeah. bit. Uh, not to talk about politics, which is uh, outlawed on this podcast, but just the economic and market impact of what that could bring, if any. Do you see any potential for anything there? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, we, you know, I, I, I did briefly mention that, you know, I think that um, the incumbent federal government. Mm. Uh, always tries to do whatever they can to make the economy strong into that election year so that, you know, so that people feel good and, you know, and they, their, their voting reflects that. Um, so I would expect the Biden administration to do what they can, you know, within their powers um, to help the economy, which is another reason why, you know, it, it's hard, you know, for the people that are calling for a hard recession or hard landing, right. It's, you know, you're talking about going into election year where the federal government's just going to throw, a lot of stuff at the economy mm -hmm. uh, because that's what they do. Um, so I think that that is, is something to be aware of. Um, you know, there was news yesterday uh, about Trump and, and um, Colorado, you know, taking them off the ballot, taking him off the ballot as an official presidential candidate. I think that's going to, you know, that's very new, but that's going to create some uncertainty. Um, you know, all, generally speaking, there's a lot of uncertainty about this election and markets don't like uncertainty. Mm. And so I think we we're going to probably balance, you know, the incumbent government, you know, trying to stimulate the economy and make people feel good into this election year with a lot of the uncertainty around like who's, you know, is Biden even our candidate for mm. 2024 and, and, and who are the Republican candidates and, um, and what does that bring with it? So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting one. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's going to, it's not, I don't think it's going to be a boring year. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting is a interesting way of describing it. Yes. Very cool. All right, Carl Asseter, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today. In closing, maybe you could tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and about Centerfin. I will put that in the show notes. I've noticed you aren't that active on social media anymore. Maybe it's somehow our algorithms aren't matching up or something since uh, the switch there. But yeah, how do we do that? Yeah, so so I, I still try to be active on Twitter. Uh, Wall Street Hobbs is my uh, is my nick uh, is my 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 um, my call sign. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, centerfin.co, Cairo at centerfin.co is how you can reach me. Um, you know, Centerfin, again, as we've discussed before, a modern wealth management platform, we're really focused on, you know, combining technology and human experience. We think that um, that's how you create the best, most modern offering for, for clients. And at the end of the day, our, our goal is to deliver value to clients. And so um, that's what we try to do every day. Well, have you tried plugging in asset allocation into AI and just being like, what's the best asset allocation right now? Oh, gosh. Yes, we've tried a lot of that <laughs> stuff. It's not not to be done, uh, okay. you know, in, with, with any real money at this point. I think there's a lot of people talking about that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's pretty dangerous um, okay. because, uh, you know, I don't think by any means. Listen, there's been forms of AI that have been used in investing by quant shops for, for decades, right? Um, so it's not like you can't use it, but I'm, I'm saying like, you know, using, trying to use something like the recent 
uh, language learning models in in you know actually managing money, I, I think is is a no no go uh, mm. at this stage. And yeah. anybody who's talking about it, that's definitely a uh, a little dangerous. At this yes, yes, yes. All right, cool. Well, thanks, Carl, for coming on again. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back here again in weeks. Speak then. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.